Welcome to Bible Foundations, where we work through books of the Bible one chapter at a time. My name is Ben Dixon. Thank you for tuning in, whether your audio or your video. We're just glad that you are with us today. Make sure to download this podcast through iTunes, Spotify, and of course, you can watch it on YouTube. Please do share it with your friends. We just want to make sure that more people are able to hear more of the Word, and we want to provide everything that we can. If you've been tuning in, you know that we're in the book of James. We've already gone through James chapter 1 and chapter 2. And today, go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to James chapter 3. I'm excited to jump in this with you. I know that since we're dropping these podcasts every two weeks, it takes a little bit of time to, to get to that next chapter. And so it's really important that we start first with prayer and second with review. So let me go ahead and pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to breathe on our time together. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher, our guide into all truth. Use your word today to give us conviction and instruction and encouragement to live more and more like Jesus Christ, the one that we're following. Thank you for everybody tuning in today. Bless them, strengthen them, and use this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now again, James chapter 3 today, I'm going to go ahead and read in two separate sections. But before I do that, let me give you some review because James 2, as you would imagine, bleeds into James chapter 3. James chapter 2 is divided into two sections like many of these chapters. So when the those that were originally constructing this letter and translating it into English, which happened you know, quite some time ago, they were breaking it into sections where it made the most sense. Here's a conversation which bleeds into another conversation. And so we see that James chapter 2 had two significant things that we focused on. The first was James was pointing out to his readers the sin of partiality. And he was warning them not to favor the rich over the poor, which was the exact opposite of the Old Testament teachings and Jesus' teaching as well, which was similar and or the same, and that was to love your neighbor as yourself and to not treat one better than the other, particularly because they were actually they were giving more toward those that were rich. They were giving more favor toward them. And James says, this is wrong. And so we looked at that. And the second part of James chapter two, we looked at was how real faith in Jesus is something that you can see. And this is where James makes the case that people who claim to have faith yet don't have any real works in their love and their service for other people, they really don't have faith at all. Remember, he says that Their faith is dead, and he says, hey, I'll show you my faith by my works. And we looked at how works don't save us. Works are worship for those that are worshipers, those that are followers of Jesus. Our works don't save us, but our works certainly will come from us if we are saved. And so James is dealing with a type of personality, a type of mindset, a type of people, and a time where somehow people have gotten to a place where they can say, I have great faith, but they have no works. And so he's calling that out straight away. And we appreciated that because it is possible today to live in casual, comfortable, convenient Christianity when the Bible again and again calls us to a sacrificial Christianity, which is continually offering ourselves to Jesus, dying to self, living for him, for his glorification, and also to love and serve and bless other other people. And so the book of James is perfect for that. And we're going to find the same in chapter three. Now, 
There are two things that we're gonna actually look at in James chapter three, and it's divided properly. The first is we're gonna actually look at the power of the tongue, or we could also say the power of speech. So when I use the word tongue or speech, they're synonymous terms. We're talking about the words that we share, knowing that they come from the heart that we have. And the second part of this chapter is we're gonna look at wisdom, heavenly wisdom versus worldly wisdom or demonic wisdom. And these really do go together because James highlights it in such a way. So let's go ahead and just read the first section, which is going to be the larger of the two, and that's verses 1 to verse 12. I'm just going to go ahead and read it for you, and here's what it says. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how a great forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on, the, on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Man, he doesn't mince words, does he? <laughs> Verse seven, for every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness or the image of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And what we're reading here today in this section, and we'll get to the, the latter part soon, is the power of the tongue. Now, you may not remember chapter one, but we do know that in this first section of chapter three, James is alluding to what we've already referenced in chapter one, verse 19 through 20. Let me read that to you because it actually bleeds into this. And he says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, anger is revealed in speech. He's, he's saying slow to speak. And this is one of the ways you know that you're angry is because it comes out of your mouth. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And I talked to you about how this save your souls was not about the saving of your soul for eternal salvation. This was just about being delivered, that our soul, when Jesus said, out of the abundance of our, of our heart, the heart is the centrality of who we are, similar word would be our soul. Uh, it's made up of our mind, will, and emotions. It's the seat of who we are. It's that seedbed. It's that centrality of our person. And so when he says, the word implanted is able to save your souls, it's also able to change your heart. And that would be an acceptable understanding or interpretation of this. So really, James is talking about the words that are coming out of our mouth, which are resident in our heart. And now he's going even further by talking about speech 
in no uncertain terms why he's just coming at them because they're probably sinning in all kinds of ways in the way that they speak. Now, we do the same thing today. Obviously, uh, we, and not only in our culture, but in our families, in our homes, in our very own lives, we have issues with saying things that we shouldn't say. And not only doing uh, other things, but this is one of the most powerful places for us to get a hold of. And it also is a window into how our heart really is. Jesus said it, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And one of the ways that we humble ourselves to God is we admit that our speech is a revelation of our heart. And so as we give our hearts to Jesus, we reflect on the words of our mouth. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't have to say this. But look what James does when he starts this chapter. He begins the conversation about the power of the tongue and his first concern being those that desire to be teachers. That's what, that's what he says right here. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such we would receive a stricter judgment. Now, why would James say this to his Jewish congregation or the believers, the readers that are receiving this message? Well, it's because many of them wanted to be teachers during that time. And I think what James is, is referencing is people wanted to be teachers not only because they wanted to teach the Word of God or the Torah. That isn't really the motivation, and it's what he's pointing out. He's saying, I would have it that not many of you would take this position or take this place. He's not talking about the desire to give people information and revelation so that they can be transformed. He's saying, you have to understand what you're accepting. You want to teach because of the position that it gives you. You want to teach because it puts you over people. You want to teach because it makes you look like you know more. But then he says, you have to understand, if you want to teach and you want to use your words to help people, to train people, to teach people, to watch them walk in the ways of God, you have to receive the responsibility that comes with it. And so James, I think, is, is warning them because this is common for people to want something that really isn't what they think it is. You want to teach because of power, but not because you want to, you want people to, to be trans, you want people to be transformed and you're willing to take that responsibility. Now, it's the illustration that I would give is saying some people want to be parents because they want all the fun stuff. They want kids to look up to them. They want to have fun. They want to play catch or they want whatever they want to do with their daughters or their sons. I think there's this sort of dreamland sometimes where people want to have kids because of all the fun stuff. But we know those of us that have had children, and I mean, even if you haven't had children, you kind of get this, that there's a huge responsibility that comes with being a parent. Anybody can have a child, but to parent a child, you have to accept a responsibility where you're willing and able and intentional to raise them to be the best men and women that they can possibly be. And that's a great illustration for what I think James is warning people of here. Many people wanna be teachers, but they don't wanna take the responsibility for what it actually is. So he says, look, you're gonna receive a stricter judgment, not just in, in eternity when you stand before Jesus, but literally every time that you teach, you're accountable. Your life is going to be seen for what it really is. So don't desire something that you're not willing to own up to. Don't desire something that you're not willing to become responsible for. And then he goes into verse 2 where he says this, For we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. 
So he's saying that our words are directly connected to our heart or our way of life, and it's going to require a certain kind of discipline if, in fact, we want to be a teacher. Again, it goes back to the words of Jesus. Our words are a manifestation of our heart. They're the overflow, which means our restraint of harsh and sinful speech says a lot about our spiritual condition in a positive way. So in verse three to five, he gives a couple of illustrations. And the first one is simply, is simply this. He says that it's like a bit in a horse's mouth. Now, what's that? I, I don't, wasn't raised on a farm. I've never had a horse. I've only ridden a horse one time, and it's a traumatic experience I won't bring up to you on Bible Foundations today. But a bit is a metal piece of synthetic material, which is part of a bridle that connects the rider to the horse. The rider can pull the reins in one way or another. Now, you've probably seen this on movies, or some of you are familiar with it, but obviously you can steer the horse the way that you want to go if you have that bit and that bridle connected. And that's what he's talking about. That's one illustration. The second is a rudder of a ship. He's, and a rudder is a blade-like appendage that usually is placed underneath the boat and it's connected to the steering column, which causes the ship to go right or it causes the ship to go left. So here you can have this massive ship and is incredible body of water, but the captain or the person that's a helmsman that has the ability to steer, they're actually connected to that rudder that's down underneath the water. That little thing is actually controlling the direction of where the ship will go. And he's trying to create this illustration, like look how big the ship is. Look how great the water is. But here you have this little rudder that actually has a control over this massive ship, whether it's small or big, it wouldn't matter. The rudder still has the power. And then the third illustration that he gives is that of a small flame. Look how serious a small flame can become. It can take out a whole forest. And this is where he goes actually when he talks about the power of our words. The tongue or our words can be used for profound good or it can bring serious destruction. And that's what he's trying to convey, right? So there's gotta be people that he's talking to, uh, in my mind at least, it doesn't say it here, but we can assume it, that are misusing their words or abusing their words. They want to be teachers for the wrong reason, and that's being manifested or being seen by the way that they're talking and the way that they're living. And so he's trying to bring it all back to what matters. If you want to do this, you need to do it the right way. You got to use your words for righteousness. Otherwise, remember the tongue boasts like a small flame that can become a forest, a forest fire, and it's set on fire by hell. And so this is a real serious warning. Now, if you've ever watched my conversations with Ben Dixon, where I talk about relevant topics, things that are important through a biblical lens, on that podcast, my very first podcast, this was at the beginning of 2021, my first podcast was called The Power of the Tongue. And I just look at different proverbs that share this very same sentiment. And I gave some stories in my life where one word was spoken to me and it profoundly impacted me. You know the statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, we all know that's not true because we've got dozens of talk shows where we bring up all kinds of adults that have been impacted by the words that were shared in their family of origin or their upbringing. And this is what we know. What we know is words profoundly impact our soul. It's absolutely the case. And so if we're going to be people that want to help and guide and teach and train others, we wanna love on people, we wanna serve them, we wanna do right by them, we have to control our speech. If we wanna be teachers, we gotta make sure that our life is congruent with 
our words because we're accountable. And this is what it's all about to understand the power of the tongue. It is not just a warning for us, which James is certainly giving, but it's also a blessing for us. Think about if we walk into our church gatherings, if we come home after work or whatever your life might be like, if you're at school, if you go to your workplace or wherever it is that you are in your neighborhood, if you know the power of your words could change a person's life, you literally are carrying like these smart bombs that can be put onto the strongholds of people's lives where they're literally living under some level of oppression or difficulty or pain or trauma. And you could go in with encouragement, with blessing, with prophetic insight, with scripture, and you can speak words that bring life. You can say things that bring transformation. They're like smart bombs that are placed on the strongholds of the enemy that just tear us down in our life. And for us to know that and walk into life is an incredible intentional way for us to bless other people in the name of Jesus. And I think while it doesn't say all that particularly, I do think there's a sense of a a wake-up call for us is that, wow, I, I literally can help change people's lives, not because I'm awesome, but because I know that if I'm speaking the words of God and if I'm speaking in the character of Jesus and I'm living in such a way where others can receive from God through my life, man, we can be change agents in in any environment whatsoever. It can be the worst environment, but God can use us very, very powerfully. But again, just to revisit this, our words are connected to our hearts. So don't overlook what you say. Let's not overlook what other people say because these are signs or these are a window into our soul and we need to have humility. Everybody say humility. That's what you need to say. Humility is where we can own it and we can move beyond it. If we don't have humility, we will not own it and we will not move beyond it. We will continue to lack self-awareness and not change. And that's not what we want. And so James moves on from this profound talk about the tongue or speech or words. And he moves in just for a few verses talking about the type of wisdom that is from heaven. And this is connected to the power of the tongue where he's, he's contrasting the wisdom of that is of demonic nature or the world and the wisdom that's from heaven and how it is that we can discern it. It's very simple, but let me read it to you. In verse 13, he says this, "'Who among you is wise and understanding? "'Let him show by his good behavior "'his deeds in gentleness and wisdom. "'But if you have bitter jealousy "'and selfish ambition in your heart, "'do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth.'" This wisdom is not that which, was, which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. I want, I want to read that part again, and that's what we need to absorb today too. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruit, unwavering, and without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He starts the conversation about the power of speech, the power of tongue, gives a warning. And then he ends the chapter by talking about the profound power there is to use your words to bless, strengthen, and help other people. In verse 13, he says, if anyone is wise and discerning, let him show by his good behavior, which includes our words. He's still, still, he's still speaking to people that want to be teachers. 
And I think this is where James, as a teacher, is instructing people who have this desire, and he's trying to point them in a direction of good deeds and good speech and a place of humility where God can use them more and more. So all of us need to absorb this because we certainly want to be used by God, and we want to say things that matter, and I believe this is helpful to that end. Verse 14 to 16, it seems that he's calling out some type of selfish zeal And he describes it as bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and the undercurrent of of what they're doing or saying or seeking. So in other words, he's pointing out some wrong motivation that is uh, jealous and and self-focused. And he goes further by talking about selfish ambition that comes from the heart and specifically those that are desiring to be uh, teachers. And so no matter who you think you are, if this exists in your heart, there is something wrong about your ministry. You may think I'm doing the right thing and I want to teach people and I want to teach the Torah, but if you have selfish ambition where you wanna get something out of it, then inevitably what exists in that place whether you see it or not, is disorder and every evil thing. I mean, we could say, well, I'm teaching the Bible. I, I want to do things that are right. But if, if you want to do, if you want anything out of that, friend, there's some, some type of toxicity. There's, there's something toxic in the water. And so he's warning them from that and trying to point them towards purity and humility. And finally, he closes out the chapter of verse 17 and 18, and he's simply saying that the wisdom of heaven will manifest itself in a spirit of humility and peace. It looks different, and it sounds different than the world. The world chases after position, status, title, and power. And he's saying that is not what a teacher of God's word should ever desire. You should not want position, status, titles, and power. That is not what it is about. Leadership is about serving other people. It's about serving the Lord. It's about pointing to Jesus. He is the one with all power. He is the one that we all serve. And if we're going to be effective in the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of teaching, and that can be any of us, no matter you know, what level of that that we obtain or have, if we're going to be effective, we have to be people that are humble. We have to be people that are sowing peace, sowing in humility, and doing it from a righteous place. Well, how do you do do that? You evaluate your heart. That's what we have to do all the time. We evaluate our hearts. We repent. And we say like David did, if there's any wicked thing in me, if I want anything out of this, if I'm looking for something from doing the work of ministry or doing what Jesus wants me to do, if I want something from that, Lord, forgive me. I repent, cleanse me. I just want to do this out of a clean place. And friend, no matter how imperfect we might be, if that's our heart, God will literally use that person in very powerful ways. Just remember that our words can be set on fire by hell. That's what, that's what James says. Why? Because of the selfish ambition that's inside of us. Those words are self-seeking. So even when we say what is good, it's seeking for something in return. And the servant of Jesus cannot have that as a motivation or any type of ambition. So our next step is, Lord, evaluate my heart. Help me to have the right motivation, the right ambition, which is to serve you and to love people and to bring forth your word in purity where it only points to you and not to myself. 
And I think what we're going to continue to see is James warning people, but also pointing or steering us in the right direction. And I certainly feel that way today. I'm a teacher of God's word, and I want to do it for the right reasons. I don't want to teach the word of God for wrong reasons or to get something out of it. We just want to see the change that the word of God brings. We want to see transformation because God's word, adhered to and obeyed, brings about the fruit of righteousness that our world needs, starting with us. So I pray that you're blessed by this. Let's take it seriously. Let's pray over the word just for a moment. Would you just join me as we ask for God to do this very thing in our hearts today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. And we know that, Lord, as we mix the word with faith and as we lay hold of what it says, that you will transform our hearts. So would you evaluate us today? If there be any wicked way or any evil thought or any selfish ambition in us, I pray, Father, that you would purify us. Help us to be those that seek to honor and glorify you in everything that we do, even in the ministry, even in the way that we steward your gifts that you've given and the ministry that you've put upon our lives. Father, I pray that in that, that we wouldn't point to anything and say, well, I'm doing what God wants me to, but no, we would do it in a way that the name of Jesus is on our lips and the nature of Jesus is in our hearts. And I pray for your help with that today. Thank you for filling us with the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, hey, God bless you. Thank you for joining me as we study the book of James. And I look forward to James chapter four in the next couple weeks. God bless you. 